So what are we not going to be talking about? Well, we're not going to be talking about nutrition at the end of life, okay? Separate issue. We're also not going to, and it's like a complicated issue. It could be a whole lecture in and of itself. Um, and I'm also not talking about withdrawal of care or refusal of care. I'm talking about, doctor, please help me kill myself. That's what we're talking about. Okay, why do we care? Because it kills people, right? That's one reason. This is only about killing people. So this definitely kills people. So why do we care about people dying? This is not a rhetorical question. Yes. You can actually talk during this lecture. The other force-fed lectures are talking aloud. Questions: Why do we care? Yeah, why do we care about people dying or killing themselves or thinking it's okay to kill people? Why do we care? Sacred. Life is sacred. Okay. What does that mean? It's not ours. What does that mean? God gives us life, so I don't. It's not our place to decide. Okay. Yeah. So. God gives us life. It's not our right to decide in our lives, especially as Christians, right? There's a verse that says specifically, we're not our own. We are God's. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't believe any of that anyway, so who cares? But as Christians, we should care, and that's part of why we should care. All right. This is Carl Fredrickson. <laughs> He's an 88-year-old male. Suffers from Takasubo cardiomyopathy. Severe major depression disorder. He has suicidal ideation. Refuses to take any of his medicine. Sits around in his house, wallowing in his degree. Barely able to get up from his lazy boy and is slowly wasting away. Consequently, he would like you to help him end his insufferable life. So that's obviously like a caricature of what people actually go through, but it's also kind of real. Have any of you encountered people here, like patients here who have seriously said, can you just end it for me? Yeah, several. So, um, yeah, for me, it's hard to really imagine how someone gets to this point. Um, especially if they are, you know, true believers in what God says. I can sort of hypothetically think about like if I was just in the most pain possible and nothing was ending it and it was just ongoing, could never be cured. I can imagine, you know, coming to this spot. Um, I have been familiar with many people with major depression disorder and how they just sort of spiral down and, you know, it doesn't matter who's in their life or not. Everything is misery. 
there is no silver lining. There's nothing good. There is no hope. Um, and I think especially some, like with that sort of mental illness going on, rational thinking is not priority. Feeling the weight that you're experiencing is the priority. Um, so, so yeah, just uh, imagine the Carl Fredrickson in your life as we go along here. Um, but first, as you're thinking about that, we're going to get a little bit of a foundation. And I've gone over this before. I think it was probably in y'all's first year, Charians, um, that I did a sort of like a worldview and ethical system lecture. Uh, so that's what we're going to go over real quick. Okay. So worldview, what, what is a worldview? Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's, it's a lens in which you view the world, right? Okay, so this is ultimately why we as Christians care, because our worldview requires, calls us to care about life. So it's assumptions that we hold regarding the basic makeup of the world. So I'm just pointing out big, three big ones. One is naturalistic. The idea that everything is material, everything is this, this cycling of, of happenstance things that happened a long time ago that have no real ultimate purpose or meaning. It happened by chance, and everything from then on has just been sort of like dominoes falling in a row. Um, it, it's Richard Dawkins who talk, talks about how like, it's a DNA dancing to its own music. Like there's really no purpose or meaning. We're just going along. It's very fatalistic and deterministic to some, some point. So then there's, so that's one. Another worldview is a, pantheist, a pantheistic worldview or a new age worldview. The idea that everything is God. So if everything is God from... Oh, like uh, Hitler to Mother Teresa, one we view as doing the worst things in the world, the other is doing you know, great things in the world. They're all the same part of the same God. There really is no good or evil. Um, it's all under the same sort of umbrella. And then there's the biblical worldview that, you know, I know. Muslims don't trust the Bible and Jews only trust part of it. But so really this could be viewed under sort of a monotheistic worldview. But since we're all Christians here, we're just going to talk about the biblical one um, where God is the ultimate authority. It's him who determines what is good and what is not. And um, he is ultimately the one that gives man meaning and dignity. Ooh, somebody called me weak. I wonder if Ganser's in the... <laughs> He's probably in the report. That's definitely something he would say. Well, he'd be done it, too. He'd call me weak. <laughs> okay, I can take it. Still standing here. Um, okay, so <clears throat> worldview. Now, within worldview, you can have specific ethical systems. Um, so these... 
systems can be largely lumped into relative ethical systems and then absolute ethical systems. Another way to think about it would be subjective and objective. So within relativism, there's subjectivism, which basically means ethics is determined by the individual. Whatever any specific individual thinks is the right thing to do, that makes it right because it's what they think. And then there's conventionalism, which looks at the culture. So David said something earlier about considering the, the cultural experience of those in Afghanistan. Um, and if, if on this, I'm not saying this is what David said, but if we use culture as the standard for what is right and wrong, you're gonna see drastic different, drastically different definitions of morality between cultures, okay? Um, situationalism, you know, it all depends on the situation and what is, quote, most loving. And of course, loving becomes subjective at that point, right? So what is most loving to do to Mr. Carl? Well, it depends what your definition of love is. If it's a biblical love, it's going to be different than this sort of goofy, define your own love sort of deal. Uh, emotivism, determined by your emotions, and then utilitarianism, what's best for the group? Not for the individual, but what's best for the group? That's what's right and wrong. And then there's absolutism, meaning there is an absolute right and absolute wrong. Um, you can break that up a little bit further, right? Because sometimes it seems like these things can come into conflict. And so what do you do there? But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Um, from a biblical standpoint, morals, ethical standards, they're objective. They're based on the good and unchanging moral character of God. Right, so that's what we are basing things off of. So, back to Carl. Let's think about a naturalistic worldview. How can somebody within this worldview consistently think about Carl in his situation and request? They would maybe think like he's gonna die anyway, prolonging his suffering or something like that. Because if you're yeah, naturalistic, like there's no meaning to anything. So nothing matters anyway. Doesn't matter anyway. Really, to be really consistent, as the person he's requesting it from, I don't really even have to care about whether I help him or not. I could help him kill himself, what do you do, like no real meaning purpose there, or I could choose to not to just because uh, I don't want to, and what do you do, doesn't, doesn't matter, um, I don't have to care about him as a person because it's ultimately there's no meaning to being a person, okay, so if we go into the pantheistic sort of new age sort of every, where, where do we go there? Oversoul. <laughs> right, exactly. He's gonna re you know, frequently reincarnation is in a lot of these that worldview. So yeah, why not? 
you're still God, whether or not you're dead. whether you're dead or alive. Yeah, your substance still remains God. And I think it's in these situations where the subjective sort of ethical standards sort of come in the most often. Um, so if you think about the subjectivism, meaning right and wrong is determined by the individual, see the situation. We're coming from that approach. That's what got us. I mean, the whole position is here. Yeah. Because people thought about autonomy as being my life. And so if patient's decision, then it must be right. But that's I feel like that's what kind of led us to this point. What about from a conventionalist standard? Um, right and wrongs determined by cultural approval and acceptance. How, I, how might we view Mr. Fredrickson? It's valued in his culture, respect his culture. Ending one's own life? Yeah. yeah. Anybody know like the current temp of physician assisted suicide? In America, in the world, isn't it legal in Oregon? So at least five states. Washington, Oregon. Yeah. So there's currently ten states, and then you know Washington D.C., where it's it's legal, um, and then all other forty states it's illegal. But can you believe that? Like, there's ten states in America where you can go and and legally request the help of a physician to kill yourself. Yeah. What we're saying, physician-assisted suicide, we're talking about the active injection of a medication. Okay, so that's a good point, right? Because there's active injection. I could also just prescribe you, you know, a cocktail that would in, hopefully, in, hopefully not, hopefully, end your life. <laughs> a successful <laughs> cocktail to end your life. So yeah, there's active, which would be the active me injecting, and then there's passive, which is here's a prescription. We're not talking about like the withdrawal of care. Not, we're not talking about withdrawal of care. I have a dumb question. Well, these 10 states, do yeah. they have to meet certain criteria? Yes. Or... Yes. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because, you know, criteria, the moving, moving criteria. Yeah. So the Netherlands has been doing this. Well, and probably really a lot of places in the world have been doing this sort of under the radar, uh, it seems. But the Netherlands... Culturally, it's been approved since the 70s, and then I think it was legally legalized in the 90s. Um, and there is, has been a good example of how we've started with this strict criteria, and then it's sort of slowly or maybe quickly, depending on how you viewed it, gone downhill um, to where now we're to the point where it's legal to euthanize kids. Um, you know, kids of a certain age can request euthanasia without parental consent, sort of like we're doing with, you know, the gender changing ish hormones and surgeries. Like, so we're going down this hill quickly. Okay, let's keep going. Um, situationalism. So, what's most loving? Well, it depends what you think most loving is. You may think it's most loving to help him end his miserable life, right? Um, Emotions, you might think it's good because you feel bad for him. He's in a tough situation. Uh, utilitarianism, he's kind of a drain suck, right? <laughs> he is using lots of money at the end of his life. He's using a lot of resources. 
So it would be best for everybody. He's a burden to his family if we just, you know, cut it off. That's the utilitarian perspective, right? I'm sorry, this is kind of an aside, but. Okay, um, I'll bring it back if I have to. Well, we've had a discussion about this, like in college. Yeah. The big question was, is there actually a distinction between actively killing someone versus passively allowing them to be let go? Because right. if we are okay with like pulling the plug, if they ask, you know, they've yeah. been on nutrition support for like five years and there's no advancement and the family wants us to let it go yeah. and we we allow that knowing they will die yeah. like is there any difference between that and actively injecting a patient because if we think that there isn't but we're okay with one but not the other then it's like it doesn't make sense yeah right. so exactly. yes i think there's a difference and i think there's good reasons to think there's a difference i'm just not talking about them here um but but absolutely because that is a crucial point where you have to say because if, if they're not different then this doesn't matter Right. It doesn't matter if you actively do it or just let them die. But if there is a difference, then this is morally separate. And I'm saying I'm coming into this with the assumption that those are morally separate. Um, and it's okay if you disagree with me. All right. So from a biblical perspective, how should we be viewing Carl and his situation? With love and compassion. Yeah. And that he was created by God and he has purpose and that he's clearly really hurting right now. Yes. Yeah. And maybe not just emotionally, maybe he's physically hurting. And encouraging words aren't going to be enough. Right? I think. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> <laughs> Huh. I didn't hear it. So that's okay. Give him opioids. Yes. Just don't give him so much opiates that you know will kill him. Yes. Right? With that purpose of killing him. There's a law of double effect that you should look into separately. I'm not going to talk about it here. Um, but it's it's good to look into as well. So why is it wrong? Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know if anybody in this room would. Roshini's gone. Uh, Leah's gone. I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. So why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to kill people? No, like specific biblical examples. Exodus. Yeah, right. It's a commandment, right? So one, it's it is a commandment. Two, does anybody remember a story regarding Saul? Uh, I think it was an Amalekite came to Saul and said, or came to David and said, Saul is dead. Here's his crown. Uh, he was laying on his sword. He was in the throes of death. And he said, "Please kill me before these unclean people do." So I slew him and then I brought his crown to you. And David said, you were responsible for his blood. How are you not ashamed to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? And then he cut him down. Saul asks this guy in the middle of battle, as he is suffering, please kill me. So the guy does it. And David treats it as murder. Uh, so 
you know, maybe it's not a perfect one-to-one, -one, but I think it's pretty good of like Saul's saying, please euthanize me. And David viewed that as murder. Um, so I think that's another example. So different for the next of kin to be allowed to kill, even if a death was accidental? Pardon? In Exodus, when the um, cities of refuge were established to for people who maybe... So judgment is different than euthanasia. Judgment for breaking the law, just war, like these are different than euthanasia. Um, okay, there's that. So some external reasons, separate from the Bible, why might this be a bad idea? If you're talking to somebody who's not a believer, they don't care what the Bible has to say. What, what might be some ideas of why this could be a bad idea to anybody? A slippery slope, like you mentioned, is a good one. Yeah. It's going to keep going down. And it has. So not just it could, but it has elsewhere. Um, and even in, in California, they, they, they legalized euthanasia. And so there's a, there's a news article about a lady with cancer who needed chemo. Insurance said, I won't pay for your chemo, but I will pay for your death. Ooh, that's yikes. Uh, so it's just like an example of, that shouldn't happen. Uh, so, so yeah, slippery slope. And the slippery slope, I think, goes a lot of different ways you know, from your own right to die to your obligation to die because you're a burden. Um, Ella? I think we can go back to the four box uh, of like ethics. So, sounds you, nice. Tell me. Do no harm. Um, um, like that you want to do the good for the patient autonomy that could be you know people could say it either way you could do that for beneficence too right yeah. it's good for me to help this patient die in their misery but you're not you know i think going through it so that's why there is some things that they can go either way but you yeah. know talk about how um for the patient especially knowing that he has in this case our caricature. He has broken heart syndrome. I'm talking super quick Does he need counseling? Does he need this or that? There are other things that he could benefit from. And yes, it could be difficult to deal with that, but we need to deal with the underlying cause that's contributing to I think there's also just sort of like this general consensus. Um, talks about how the law is written in our hearts so like there's this baseline understanding of what is right and wrong among humans whether we want to submit to that or not but generally speaking murder is frowned upon um, not everywhere not with everybody but i would it, it seems to be the case that generally speaking killing people is not a good idea um so right to die to obligation to die progression to involuntary killing. So me just deciding as the physician that it's probably best for you to just be dead and doing it without talking to you about it. Um, you know, Asia of kids. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people recover. And you know, what a, sometimes that's like an overly hopeful thing. Um, but God does heal, and even 
apart from miraculous unexplained healing, like people do just get better sometimes. Um, and so I, I think taken together, these are some more reasons why uh, euthanasia is, is, is not a good thing. Okay, so what about arguments for assisted suicide? I'm gonna go quickly here, but you mentioned, somebody mentioned autonomy. So it's the right to govern oneself. Um, but, you know, if, if murdering, if killing yourself, killing other people is objectively wrong, the fact that you want to do it to yourself doesn't change the morality of it. Okay. Um, okay. So what about we need to relieve pain and suffering? Uh, yes. But again, relieving pain and suffering by killing somebody doesn't turn that into a moral good assuming that killing them is a objective moral wrong. Yeah. I think going on this topic too is we do everything to promote, uh, to prevent someone from committing suicide, right? Yes. They have suicidal ideation, we put them on hold. Why is it different? So on top of that, we should try to do whatever we can within moral boundaries to alleviate pain and suffering, we should learn more about how we can better care for these patients who are suffering um, in a palliative manner so that we are more successful in relieving their pain and, and, and suffering. Um, but killing them just because you're relieving pain and suffering doesn't make it a moral good. Okay. Uh, resources are limited. We got to save these. So, you know, this is kind of a gross one. Um, but to, to say that it's morally better to kill somebody than to spend resources on them, um, it's, you know, quite line up. Yes, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm oversimplifying some of this because I only have a short period of time. Um, all of this could be gone into deeper, okay? Uh, this is sort of like, think about this stuff. All right, thoughts? We don't have many time, much time for thoughts, but if you have a thought, feel free to give it. Yeah. I have a comment, thanks for doing this. I had to talk a lot about we on the other side of things in Washington. Yeah, I think it's worth, you know, knowing where the other side is coming from. Um, and I think it's, I think it's worth knowing what you believe and why you believe it. So that when your patient asks you to help them in their life, I mean, it's easy to go, well, it's illegal for me to do that. And that's fine, but I think, um, you know, they can just cross the border uh, into Colorado and take care of themselves if they want to. I, th I think it's important to know where you stand on this issue and why, and be able to think about and talk about the other side. Yeah, that's where it's at. Um, CMDA has these good 
standards for life. It's not just physician assisted suicide, but uh, I think abortion and some other fun topics, they create a whole PDF about. Um, they have an ethics statement on it, but if you click on it right now, it talks about eugenics. So that's not really helpful. They said it's gonna come up soon. Um, and then Robert Orr through the CMDA has med medical ethics, a primer for students. It's really good. It's pretty short. You, I got mine through IHI. I don't know if everybody here has one. Students <laughs> feel like, no, yes, okay. I mean, it's one of the many books that you get and most people choose to set them aside. Uh, and then, Wayne Grudem has an entire large tome on Christian medical ethics, Christian ethics. I have it at my desk if you're ever interested. Um, I think all this stuff is good to, to think about. There you go. Good afternoon.